Welcome to the Multifamily Five, where industry experts provide raw information about how they are achieving success in the current market conditions. And now, your host, Dallas-based real estate broker, Mark Allen. And welcome to the Multifamily Five. Today on the show, I have the smartest man in the room, Michael Becker. Great to have you. Thanks for having me. Hey, I feel like Mr. Paul Peebles with that intro. You like it? Yeah, it's great. Yeah, so uh, Mike Becker, uh, also, not, he's an investor. Mike, just go ahead. I'll let you introduce yourself, and uh, you could talk a little bit about the Old Capital Podcast as well, because I'm a big fan of that podcast and enjoy listening to that. Uh, sure, yeah. So Michael Becker, based here in uh, Dallas, Fort Worth area, based out of Dallas, been here my entire life. Uh, my background um, really is... Professionally in banking uh, is kind of where I got my professional start. So I was a, a lender for many years. In the last, uh, you know, five or seven years of my professional career, what I focused exclusively on was uh, uh, value-add multifamily lending. So I just was banking loan, uh, loan after loan, loaning to people that were uh, acquiring distressed properties and renovating them and, and, and turning them around. And through that process, I kind of realized I was on – the wrong side of virtually every transaction. It was uh, better to be the borrower than the lender, so I went out and did something about it. And over the last, you know, a little bit over four years, I guess now, we've, we've, uh, my company, SPI Advisory, we went, uh, myself and my partner, Sean, we went out and we've acquired about 5,000 units here in DFW. Uh, when we first started out, we kind of focused on kind of more C-class, uh, C-class deals, and now what we're focusing on is really kind of B to A minus, so kind of, you know, think 1985 to 2005 vintage, um, you know, kind of, but we, you know, what we, what we feel is still kind of the up end, upper end of the workforce housing scale. So it's basically what, what we do and uh, what Mark referenced is uh, I'm a co-host of a podcast called the Old Capital Real Estate Investing Podcast. I host the Paul Peoples. You can find that on iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud or probably any place you found this, you can, you can find our podcast, which is the Old Capital Real Estate Investing Podcast. Yeah, great. Okay, so let's get into this. You scaled to now, you said 5,000 units um, in the last couple of years, so at a pretty rapid pace. Talk a little bit about I, just over the past couple of years, maybe the shift. If you're still seeing as many off market deals, if you're taking down as many off market deals, uh, maybe what the percentage of off market versus fully marketed uh, deals are, um, and, and maybe some of the things you're doing to increase. Uh, the number of deals that are coming across your desk um, over the past, you know, couple of years. Yeah. So what we we've done, let's see. Today we have two in escrow right now. We've done twenty. I guess it'll be twenty-five transactions when we close these two. So I think of the twenty-five, maybe four or maybe five have been on market, and the rest have been off market, including the two that we currently have in escrow. Um, you know, we've done, I guess, of, of the five that are probably marketed, the, the really, I guess, over the last, you know, two years, those have all been marketed, or those all have happened. So about 50-50, maybe, maybe now that we do that on market versus off-market, whereas almost all off-market when we started, uh, we do spend a considerable amount of time trying to, trying to source inventory off-market. Um, a lot, how do we do that? It's a, a variety of ways and what we really kind of focus on or just, you know, still utilizing the broker network. That's still pretty uh, key to most most of the deals that you're able to get tied up. 
Um, they, the broker network like yourself, uh, Mark, I mean, you guys, your job all day is just to get in front of guys that own, guys and gals that own apartment complexes and see if they're, you know, thinking about selling or what it would take to sell. So just making sure that we, you know, get networked effectively and, and stay networked and stay in front of all the brokers has been really key to that. Um, I think the higher percentage is, is largely due to us operating in one market and me being based in that same market. It certainly is a competitive advantage when you're, you know, you get a deal flash across your desk and you can go uh, drive it within the hour and, and tell them if you like it or you don't like it or you know the, the market so well that, you know, it's, you know, street by street or, you know, I've been loaning on deals for, you know, a couple of decades, loaning or owning deals for a couple of decades now that, you know, I've probably seen the deal and know the, know the sub-market very well. So those are just some things that, that we've done. Um, you know, we also, also some of the other things we do to kind of help increase the amount of deals that we see off market is we'll, we'll target, um, property lists with some brokers and, you know, kind of have a joint calling effort where, you know, we target eight or ten properties and tell the, tell the broker that if they can connect, uh, with the, the buyer and we can agree on price and terms, we'd buy any of these eight deals. Um, we've gotten some deals that way or, you know, just simply owning a bunch of stuff in certain sub-markets. Uh, sometimes if there's a deal across the street or around the corner that's coming up, I'm certainly one of the, the first phone calls on any deal that's anywhere near one of the ones that we own because we'd be a logical buyer to it. So those those are some of the things that, that we do um, to source, source off-market deals. Yeah, what about connecting? You mentioned going after sellers yourself. Are you, out of those 25 transactions, and, and I guess I'm assuming that's all on the buy side, are you connecting directly with sellers, or do any sellers come directly to you? Uh, yeah, those all would be on the buy side. Um, and, yeah, we, we've done some direct. Um, it's not not as many. I'm trying to think how many we've done direct. Maybe, maybe it's probably only been two or three of them, but two-pack direct, and then the other, maybe one one other one I could think of. So of the 25, let's call it three of them have not involved a broker. The, the bulk of them have, and the only way we got those is I, one of them I had a pre-existing relationship when I was a banker, and the other, my partner, Sean, helped them buy it when he was worked for a broker out of California. So we had, you know, previous track record with those, with those groups. Um, as far as, like, just uh, somebody I haven't transacted with before, um, going direct, it, we, I don't think, I can't recall of another one that we've done. It's been a, it's, it's more challenging, you know, as you know, all these deals uh, somewhere along the, the life cycle of a, of a transaction, there's there's a point of conflict somewhere along the way, and having a good intermediary certainly helps uh, over cheat, uh, overcome some of those challenges. So having a broker in the middle certainly helps. And then, you know, if I go direct to them, then they, they certainly question my price and my motive. Um, and having a broker in the middle kind of uh, soothes that process a little bit, and it's kind of an arbitrator when you have little issues that, that pop up during during the, the life cycle of a deal. So we try not to go too much direct because it just hasn't been as effective, and I think our time is better spent using the resources of others like, like yourself, uh, Mark, you know, to have you go spend your time and your efforts calling on these owners, um, and, you know, your likelihood of success is relatively small as a percentage basis, to every phone call that you, you make, and then if I get multiple brokers out there calling on my behalf, I got a lot of uh, a lot of manpower that someone else's, um, you know, on um, someone else's nickel that they don't get paid unless we actually do a deal. So it's a right. more efficient way of going about it, in my my estimation. Okay, so you know the the environment today uh, in the multifamily space all across the nation is changing. Um, the sellers' expectations are changing. Buyers are underwriting deals different. 
Uh, let's talk a little bit about underwriting. What what are you doing to get uh, deals done, get into best and final rounds, and uh, beat the competition to take down deals? Um, so, you know, part of it is we don't compete as much uh, compared to some people. If you're just getting a broker's package on a listed deal and then you're you're finding out against, you know, the 10 other offers and the two or three other people in the best of final with you, those are more difficult uh, scenarios to win. So we try not to do that the best we can, you know, again, focusing off market. But when you do get into a, a marketing, uh, a marketed situation, you know, coming in strong with terms, I'm sure other people have mentioned that before. I mean, you know, having relatively um, uh, short closing time periods, going hard with earnest money, you know, either day one or, or shortly thereafter, um, that is, you know, pretty much a necessity anymore to win any sort of deal in the marketplace. Um, as far as underwriting goes, I don't think we've changed our underwriting too, too much. Um, you know, we're just trying to source deals that have, you know, 10% or greater in, in you know, uh, rental rental rate upside is kind of what we, we typically look for. So you can you tend to pay a little bit more of a lower cap rate, a little bit more of an aggressive cap rate on in-place numbers um, as long as you, you feel like you have documented, you know, upside in, in your rental rates. That's, that's kind of what we focus on when we're doing deals. I know that's what the, most people try to look for as well. Um, you know, so I, I don't know if we really change our underwriting too, too much. I know the taxes are becoming a little bit more challenging. Mm. So, you know, you certainly can't underwrite 75 or 80 anymore. You got to be 80, 85 on pretty much any of these or you're, you're kidding yourself, um, in, in Dallas, what worth. So 80, 85% of the purchase price is what most people have to underwrite. You know, payroll has been another thing that's been kind of under pressure. Um, you know, trying to, to hire and maintain good quality maintenance staff. That's become a more of a challenge. So I think our labor cost, Payroll costs are going up, and the, the biggest thing I'm starting to think will be the next thing to kind of be a headwind would be insurance. You know, here in North Texas, we got hit with, I think, three of our properties got hit with hail within the last year. And then now with the, the hurricane and flooding down in Houston, I'm, I'm curious if some of the um, carriers are just going to pull out of Texas, which would uh, further exacerbate some of the, inter- in, uh, the insurance rates that, that we're going to have to go out and see. But those are some of the things that, you know, we we look at. We're just trying to, you know, make sure we, we underwrite the market rents and we have you know, some documented upside with some, what some of our competitors are doing. That uh, That's a pretty easy sell when you go into equity. If you can just say, hey, I go, you know, the property down the street gets 100 bucks more per unit, and they have, you know, black appliances and backsplash and brush nickel, and my, my units are pretty tired and haven't been renovated since the 80s. So if I just do what they do, I can raise my rents 100 bucks. That's a pretty easy story when you're going out and pitching equity. Yeah. Uh, what about your rent growth assumptions? Is that dependent on where the deal is in the Metroplex, um, or do, are you pretty much a flat flat across the board? I know when yeah, we, uh, when we're doing BOVs, we we typically just rent growth at three percent across the board. And yeah, stay fairly we're, conservative. We're we're typically more of a more of the the take the approach. The first couple of years, we just try to find a property that's below market rents. And through our, you know, our, our renovation program, we just try to burn off the loss of lease over the first couple of years. And usually year three, kind of year three forward, we'll, we'll do two, somewhere between two and three percent rent growth. I mean, a lot of our stuff, especially the stuff that we have had in North Dallas, uh, over the last several years, I mean, you're, you're talking organic rent growth of, you know, seven, eight percent, uh, for doing nothing, but just, you know, turning, turning your lease over or not even, not even upgrading. Um, I, that's just, I don't think is sustainable in our estimation. Um, you know, so trying to kind of predict the future, we just, we just try to do, you know, two to three percent. And we also grow our expenses, you know, typically at the same rate that we grow our revenue, try to kind of keep that in line as well. 
Um, and if we can't hit, you know, kind of a, a you know, 18 IRR, kind of what the, the typical, you know, 17, 18 IRR is kind of minimum that we, we typically kind of back back into um, for us to strike for us to go out and to put a deal together. We just don't go forward with it, and we just kind of look for the next deal. Yeah. You throw a six cap on that rent growth, and that's where you see all these these groups that were buying uh, through you know, 2012, the last three to five years, and now they're selling it. They bought it maybe 30 to 40 a door, and they're selling at 70, 80, 90 a door. Um, you could do that just off rent growth alone. But uh, based on, you know, some of the properties in your portfolio, have you tested anything new this year as far as operations? Have you implemented anything new um, into your apartments that you're seeing positively impact your NOI? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it has as big an impact on NOI, but one of the things we've been uh, kind of starting to roll out on um, virtually every deal we buy and kind of retrofitting some of our older deals is a package locker system. So with all the explosion of the online uh, marketplace and Amazon and all, all the online uh, e-commerce, you know, we're having all these packages come to the apartments and, and, you know, like you and I that live in a house for, say, you know, they just drop it off at your front door, but the apartments are they're taken into the leasing office, and then uh, we have to have a staff member log it in, contact the tenant, you know, store it, and ha- have them come pick it up, and have to pick it up during business hours. So it's been quite a bit of strain on our staff, and it really is taking, especially during, like, the holiday season, you take, you know, almost like a full-time employee just to pay, you know, po- postal carrier at some of our pro- larger properties. So we've implemented a, uh, a locker, package locker system where you know, we have a room that's, you know, got a security camera on, you got to have a code to get into, and then uh, the, the postal carriers come to that room, drop off the package, and the tenant gets texted a code, and then 24 hours a day they can come into that room and pick up their, their package. So that's been something that we, the, the newest thing that kind of jumps to my mind that we've been doing over the last six, six to 12 months. Yeah, is there a primary vendor that goes in and does that, implements that whole system for you? There's a few of them out there, but we use um, a group called Luxor. Um, I think it's called Luxor One. Um, if you guys look it up, that's the Luxor One package locker system is what we've done. I know uh, RealPage has a version of it. And I heard Amazon's having a version of it that's not just for the Amazon Prime. They're going to have uh, one that, that can start going into uh, to apartments and, and other places as well. I don't think it's rolled out yet. But that's uh, that's something that we we found pretty good success, and that's kind of a class A amenity that we're taking into the the B class uh, apartment complexes. Yeah, great. Okay, what's what's one of your biggest lessons learned this year for your business um, outside of what you just mentioned? Um, I don't know about this year, but generally speaking, you know, I, we, I think we've been fortunate. Obviously, we've been buying in a time where cap rates have compressed and rents keep going up and. We're in kind of what I consider to be the center of the multifamily universe being here in DFW, or at least it's the multifamily universe of the United States. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff going on here, a lot of supply, a lot of big players here, a lot of capital coming here. So we've been fortunate in that. Um, you know, some of the smaller mistakes I think we've made is anytime I go into any deal a little bit light on the capitalization, you know, like we're struggling and I'm trying to figure out, should I take an extra hundred grand or extra 200 grand in this deal? And I don't. Uh, that's always been a problem because I'm always chasing the tail. So I think that'd be one of the things that I would uh, I would suggest for people to do is to, you know, if you're if you're you're doing it, and you're on the fence, always take just a little bit more than a little bit less, and just kind of makes your deal go that much easier. Um, that that's one thing I've learned. You know, really, if if you're you know you're you're kind of starting out, you're trying to figure out how to crack a nut. I mean, this whole business is about you got to get one, get educated, and two, you got to get networked with. Uh, with you know both management companies, brokers, lenders, 
um, you know, lawyers. You got to go to go out to events, go to places where you can meet people that, uh, you know, at events. That's how we met. We met at an event, and, and you know, you never know who you're going to meet and what where that relationship can take you. But people do business with people they know, like, and trust. And if you're not out at an event, people don't get to know and like and trust you and meet you, then they're not going to do business with you. So little things like that kind of have have come back, you know, a year or two later, and proven to be the the thing that's kind of pushed me over on on a deal when if I wouldn't have gone to that event or I wouldn't have met that person or I wouldn't have gone out and had drinks with that person that one night, I might not have won that deal. Relationship business. It is. Uh, Mike, what's the best way for the listeners to connect with you if they want to ask you a question or uh, get in touch? Yeah, there's really two ways. The first, I'll kind of repeat it. You go uh, search for our podcast, which is the Old Capital Real Estate Investing Podcast. We have a website there, which is uh, oldcapitalpodcast.com. You can find that there. Um, or, you know, the company where we raise capital and, and do transactions is under uh, SPI Advisory. So you go to our website, which is www.spiadvisory.com. That's SPI, like spyadvisory.com. Mike, thanks again for the time. Appreciate you coming on the show. I've enjoyed working with you and uh, making a run at a couple of deals. And uh, hopefully we do a deal here soon. Thanks, Mark.